everybody, this is Kendall Osborne. It is 10-28-2011, and you are tuned into the Recording Lounge. Got a mix that's not too exciting? Yeah, me too. Let's figure out why. Today we're talking about keeping excitement in your mixes. So I've divided the show up into a couple different sections. And the first section I want to touch on is what makes mixes exciting? Well, mixes are exciting in lots of different ways. They move us in lots of different ways. Certain frequencies make us feel certain things. More high frequencies, more mid frequencies are more aggressive. They give us more presence. They give us more aggressiveness. We feel it and we feel that the mix is bright and in our face and punchy and loud. More low frequencies or less high frequencies, um, you know, either way, make us feel a little more calm. It's more mellow. It's more warm. It's more uh, easy listening, if you will. And all these emotions come out from each of those. Darker frequencies are supposed to be, you know, more sad or more mellow or more warm or soft or kind, whereas um, brighter frequencies are more bright and happy and and uh, or aggressive and, and in your face and angry. Um, and all those things are emotions and they're more abstract and, and it sounds a little ridiculous at first to talk about them, but it's not. The mixing is not something you should consider a math problem. It's not a math problem. Mixing is an art just like recording, just like songwriting, just like producing. There's an art to it and there's it's creative. It's a creative element. And you can't just sit around and, and, and expect a mix to do itself. So these elements about mixes make them exciting. Mixes that are big, mixes that are wide, mixes that are you know an inch in front of your face, mixes that are loud, mixes that are... You know, however, there are different elements to different genres that make mixes exciting or not. For example, a jazz song does not have to be super compressed or anything to to be exciting. The dynamics of the jazz song are what make it exciting. However, um, having more of a limited dynamic in a metal song gives it its excitement in its way. It's a totally different genre. It's a totally different sound, but. The concept is the same. You can't just say, oh, well, if I want an exciting mix, I just compress the crap out of it. That's totally false, and you couldn't be farther from the truth. If you want an exciting mix, you have to follow the song, and you have to do what's right for the song. So if the song is mellow, then figure out what elements of that song you can bring out to make it exciting or make it moving. I'm going to use a couple of different words to describe exciting. We've got exciting punchy, loud, in your face. And then we also have somber, sad, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching songs. These are all exciting, though. They're appropriately interesting, is what I would say. They give you that interest that, that keeps you drawn, regardless of if it's a slow song or a fast song. A common misconception is that songs have to be fast to be exciting. That they have to be you know, rock songs to be exciting, that something more orchestral or something a little more mellow or something more jazz or something more of that nature would not be exciting, just because it's not. Well, I think that's a pretty uh, narrow-minded thinking. I think it's very bad to assume that only certain genres are exciting and others aren't. Every genre has its excitement, and the people that love that genre are excited by it. So it obviously has excitement. 
And there are plenty of successful songs out there that I might not find that exciting. However, most of them, most successful songs out there, regardless of genre, I can find excitement in. I can say, you know what, that really kicks. I really like that drum beat, or I really like that guitar line. I really like that vocal part, or the backing vocals come in and it's just huge. Stuff like that is great. So remember, songwriting is a lot is a lot to do with it. So how do we get our songs to be exciting in the first place? Well, I'm hoping that a handful of the people listening to this show are songwriters. I'm really hoping that because I think it definitely gives you a learning curve as far as production goes. Not maybe not necessarily engineering, maybe not necessarily mixing, but production, it definitely gives you a leg up because you can say, you know what, well, I understand what chords he's playing and, you know, I don't think that sounds right or it sounds out of tune. You're so picky anyway for being a musician. So let's talk about this. Well, in many ways, it all comes back to the song format. Now, I know this podcast isn't necessarily for songwriters and it's not necessarily for people, you know, that are musicians. It's it's more for the recording person, the recording musician even. So I'm hoping that if you're listening to this, you're a musician that records yourself. So some common problems that I see with songs. One of the most common problems is that the songs are not focused. They're not they don't they're not clearly written. There's a verse and then there's a chorus. And then the second verse doesn't really sound like the first verse. And then the second chorus sounds pretty much like the first chorus. And there's kind of a bridge thing. And then there's kind of the ending. And You see where I'm going with this? It's just not... It doesn't grab you. It doesn't grab you from step one. And there's not a clear format. There's not definite parts. There's no repetition. Now, repetition is good in songwriting. It's not good to repeat the entire thing over and over, but... Repetition is what makes a song memorable, and the most common place to repeat is the chorus and the tag, if there is a tag. The tag is something like, um, you know, depending on the song. Here, here's an example is that song, uh, My Generation. They have the talking about my gen... That, that is kind of like a tag. It's more of like a call and response thing, but it's a tag in a way. Um, it's a hook, if you will. A hook is is really important, and so many people don't write with hooks. They don't write with catchy little hooks for you to remember. So you got songs that aren't that aren't driven. They're not they're not written well. They don't drive you in the first place because there's no hook and there's no memorable parts. How are you supposed to remember a song if there are no memorable parts? Another common problem is that choruses aren't written well, and choruses are the most important part in the entire song. So. You can't just sit around and, and kind of throw together a chorus that it comes up with a couple lines that kind of works. Like, you really have to dive in and work on the chorus. You have to figure out what the song is about, what you want it to be about, and it's got to be big. It's got to be memorable. The lyrics have to really encapsulate the entire song on the chorus. That's so, so true. And I play music with uh, my singing partner, Kenzie. She and I write and play music together, and it's kind of acoustic music. And we sit for hours trying to figure out what we're talking about when we talk a lot more about abstract things. Like, what's the song about? What's the, what's the singer and the narrator of this prose <laughs> feeling? What, what's, um, what emotions are going through the head at this point? What, you know, chronologically, what's going on in the song? 
what's happened so far, okay? So he's, you know, if this is an example of a common maybe rock song. This isn't something that me and her would necessarily write, but let's just talk about a rock song because I assume most of you are rock musicians. So you introduce the song with an intro. That's basically, this is the feeling, this is what's going on. So you basically explain the introduction of the situation. And then the verse comes along, and maybe the singer's talking about how, you know, he misses the girl that he loved so long ago, and he can't find her. Then the pre-chorus comes and says, you know, but I'm going to find her. And then the chorus has this big thing, this big line that says, you know, because she's the one and I know it. These are all just, you know, lame example, right? But but it's just the point. It's The, the point makes sense. So you've got a movement there. You have a chronological movement, and then you go back to a verse that maybe explains more part of the story, and then you, you, you're you moved with it, kind of like in a movie when you're connected to the character, to where if the, char- if the lead character dies in the end of the movie, you're really upset for some reason, like you wanted them to live. Same thing in a song. There's development. The verse tells you something. Then the chorus again, it tells you the story. It tells you the heart of the song. Then there's a bridge that's kind of like this reconciliation, like this is the big cathartic moment. And then there's these two choruses at the end, and they explode, and it's, you know, the whole song is done. That's just an example, guys. So I know that formula seems really simple and, and done so many times in the songwriting world, but, but it works. It really does work. And the song moves, and it changes in the parts. It's not just the verse is the same as the chorus. That's the third thing I wanted to talk about with this, is that so many people don't play with dynamics. They don't play with dynamic parts. They don't play with this song in mind. So when you're sitting there saying, my mix isn't exciting, it doesn't take me anywhere... One of the first things I want you to do is go through each section of the song, take off all your plugins, take off all your volume automation, run the mix flat where it sounds good, you know, do a quick mix with volumes and pans, and play it. Now, for each section, I want you to write down a level, 1 through 10, of fullness. Fullness and volume. So, basically, if the band's going, the guitars are playing, the singer's blaring his notes, the bassist and the drummer are just bashing their brains out, that's a 10. If the song cuts out and the singer is quietly singing one line and and the hi-hat's just going barely, that's a 1. These are just examples. So fullness and kind of volume, more like relative volume, but mainly fullness. So write down how each section changes. This is a great exercise, guys. So, so go through through and start. You know, if the song starts full on, maybe it's a nine, maybe it's a nine or a ten. You might have to change it throughout the song. Like you might think that the intro is a seven or an eight, but then you go towards the end and you realize that it might have been more like a five. The end might get huge. So it's all relative to each other. So these, you know, there's no hard fast rules. So go through some of your songs or some of the songs you're working on and write down this. I do this sometimes when I'm producing. I'll write down the energy level of each section. And there's usually only, you know, five or ten sections. So you got just an example again. Intro, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, intro, uh, another verse, then the chorus, then a bridge, then a quiet verse, and then a, two choruses at the end. That's 11. That's 11 sections. And then maybe there's an outro. That'd be 12. So write down the energy level at each one. Take notes on each one. What's the predominant piece in each section? What's the most important? Is it a guitar line 
or is it the vocal? You'll find that in the choruses and the verses, and most likely the bridge, unless it's a solo, it'll be the vocal. However, the intro and the turnaround sections, and maybe even the pre-chorus, the vocal might not be the most important thing. So, in general, the vocal is the most important throughout the whole song, but what if the vocal's not even singing at that point? Then something else has to take over. So anyway, the goal here is to understand that sections need to move. Having an intro at you know, a level five, and then a verse at a level five, and then a pre-chorus at a level five, and then a chorus at a level six, doesn't really do much for you. It just, it doesn't move you. It keeps you sitting there waiting for the chorus. The chorus comes, and you're like, oh, that's, that's kind of nice. That's literally the equivalent. Now, if it was something more like the intro comes in at an eight, and then it drops down to a four, and then the pre-chorus is maybe a six. And then the first chorus is maybe an eight. See how that moves you? It, it gets your attention. You drop. And then you're, you're kind of drawn in by that. You're drawn by the big drop. And you sit there and you're like, wow. What's going on? The verse is happening. What's he talking about? And then you listen to the vocal. And then the pre-chorus comes and the drums come in and it's big. And you're like, yeah, this is good. This is good. And then the chorus comes and it's in your face. And you buy the CD because you love it so much. So, of course, this usually always comes back to the question, well, what is good? Good is such a subjective term. You know, is my song good? Well, that is probably the hardest part of all this because most everybody thinks that their songs are good. Everyone thinks that their songs are good songs because they wrote them. And it's very important to get outside opinions. It's very important to have second ears, third ears, fourth set of ears <laughs> to hear your songs and to really know what's appropriate. And there's a certain point, I think, in most musicians' careers when they realize that they're good versus, you know, not good. When they really understand that their writing is good and when they really understand that what they've accomplished as a musician is really translating well and that they really are talented especially when comparing songs to other people's songs that they really respect. So, songwriting is priority one. Always, 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 songwriting is priority one. That's what you should spend the most time on. And if you're not the one whose songs you're recording, if you're recording other people, for example, then you have to be really, really selective and understand what parts of their songs are good. What parts can you draw on? What parts can you accentuate? And there's other things, too, about songwriting that people just don't understand. One of them is, like, counter-melodies and call-and-response sort of things. A good example of this is someone like Jimi Hendrix, who will sing something and then play a guitar lick, and then sing something else and then play a guitar lick. Now, we don't necessarily have to do that on everything, but part of it is that you need things going on. If you're just playing simple chords and then singing over it, you know, it's probably going to be pretty darn boring. Been there, done that. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to not really leave any room for the imagination. So some of those little elements in between are what draw you in and what make you listen more. A good example is listening to country music. There'll be guitar licks or like lap steel licks in between vocal lines. And that's something that's really, really lost in a lot of pop music today 
it's very common to just hear chords, 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 and it's just like, oh my gosh, give me something. Give me some sort of melody other than what the vocal's doing. And um, this is very common with, with lots of great artists. So here's a challenge for you. Go listen to some music that you really love and listen to what's going on when the vocals aren't saying, saying anything. Listen to the counter melodies. Then listen to what's going on while the vocals are singing. You know what you notice? It's probably not much. Usually the vocals will sing and the counter melodies will not do anything. They'll not play. The guitars will stop. It'll just play chords. But when the singer is not singing, that gives them time to shine. Now the second thing we're going to talk about as far as keeping your mixes exciting is the idea of processing. So how do we process our songs in an interesting way? How do we make them unique? Now, this can obviously go just as many ways as songwriting can go. And this is, again, what makes it hard. What makes it art, though, is the ideas behind what you do. What makes it artistic is the choices you make, the colors you use, per se. There are always unique things to do with recording. There are always new things to try. There's no wrong answers. And it's always really interesting to listen to mixes from people that you respect and really listen to what's going on. So there are things like tremlos and flangers and phasers that a lot of people never touch. But it's really interesting to throw them on certain things. I love sometimes using like a flanger on a hi-hat or a, or a phaser on a hi-hat or sometimes putting tremolo on guitars or on, on even certain vocal parts putting distortion or, or certain types of reverb or different effects. And that's very, it's very experience-based. You have got to experiment. I can't give you all the answers. You can't get the answers online. You can't just ask somebody, hey, how do you make your mix exciting? I mean, what mix? The mix I worked on yesterday or the one I'm working on today? You know, there's no set way. And again, that's what makes all this hard. And if you go to forums, you'll get all kinds of wrong information. And I say wrong because I don't think there are any right or wrongs in most cases, but... In the case of mixing and recording, there are some people that are just wrong. They'll go on and they'll say stuff like, Oh, you guys are stupid. I always use a $50 DBX compressor rack on my vocals and a uh, you know, a stock plug-in EQ from DigiDesign, and it always sounds better than anything I've ever heard from anyone else. And it's just like, okay, so I'm supposed to trust this random person that says they always use cheap, terrible gear and they get better results than everyone and, you know, yet you never heard of them. And so, and part of the reason I wanted to make this podcast in the first place was because I wanted you guys to have information from somebody that uses it every day and I can apply it to different genres because you don't know what kind of mixes people are working on and I want the most out of my listenership. I want people to actually take things away that are general enough to apply to any genre, any mix. And so I want to stress the fact that you have to experiment, no matter if you're not an experimental type person, you got to be creative if you want creative results. Uh, 
And as far as keeping a mix interesting, sometimes you don't have to use any fancy effects. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you can keep a mix extremely dry, and it's exciting that way. Exciting is a relative term. We've already talked about this. And earlier we talked about compression and EQ slightly, about how more compression can sometimes mean more excitement. More EQ can sometimes mean more excitement. One tip I'll give you guys is when you're processing things, when you're EQing or compressing or putting effects on, I want you to try, try to think a lot less about the tones necessarily or the uh, implications of adding too much of this frequency or too much compression. And instead, ask yourself general questions that are more of the artistic side. So when you put on a compressor, Adjust the knobs until you feel excited. Or adjust the knobs until you feel like it sounds cool. Now, be careful with this. Keep in mind that you can definitely overmix everything very quickly. But if you really start looking at the processing more from an artistic standpoint and you're saying things like, you know, what, what sort of vibe am I going for here on the vocals? You know, do, do I like a lot of reverb on it? Do I want to put just like drenched in, drenched in reverb? Or do I want to put it drenched in like a darker reverb? Or do I want to put it in a short bright reverb or a short dark reverb or a room reverb? Again, it all comes back to experimentation. But if you ask yourself more questions about feel and, and uh, you know, emotion and, and how it moves you as a mixer rather than and, and how it would move people rather than oh yeah well adding too much of this frequency is going to is going to fight with the guitars don't worry about that yet that's something to work out later eventually the more you experiment you'll find balances between uh, working with all the instruments and then also working with the vibe you'll find different areas can be pushed light and dark and you know contrast is big in songs and and it's very important to to understand contrast and how certain elements not every element can be big not every element can have huge amazing tone because the more elements that there are in a song the smaller each element kind of has to be it's it's kind of like trying to fit all of your clothes into a suitcase if you have a bunch of coats it's not going to fit in the suitcase with more than three or four coats uh, but if you have only t-shirts you can fit a lot of t-shirts in there. The mix, the analogy remains in a mix. You can't have 60 tracks and each individual track be huge. So you kind of have to tailor individual tracks. You know, uh, Not every track can have a ton of high end. Not every track can have a ton of low end. The things that I find that always sent, seem to be huge are the drums and the vocals, mainly the vocals. The vocals, and that's in that's in many cases, not in every case, but you want the drums to sound good on their own. A general rule for me is, if I could mute everything and just have the drums play, it should still sound cool. The drums should sound really good on their own. The vocals should sound really good on their own. And then, when you bring everything else in, everything kind of fits around the drums and the vocals. You have the groove, and you have the main melody. And then, if you had to add one more element in there, it would be the bass. So once you get the drums and the vocals sounding really good, add in the bass and try to make that fit really well with the drums so that you have your main rhythm, you have your main chord changes with the bass, you have your main melody with the vocal, and you have your main rhythm with the drums. Everything else takes precedence to those. Even guitars. I'm a guitar player. I understand. It's hard. But you have to make it fit. The guitars are generally not the most important thing in the mix. That's just the, that's just the truth. You have to accept it and move on. So... 
in general, look at processing from an artistic standpoint and look at processing from the point of what's the most important? What's the most important thing? So make the most important thing shine. Whatever it is, spend time on it. If it's the vocal, then spend time on it. If the vocal's bad, sing it again. If it's not you, tell them to sing it again. If it's still bad, then maybe you got to tune it. You know, you got to do these things. You just have to. There's some things that you just have to do. And if you want it to sound the way you're expecting. Because some people are like, oh, I really like dynamic mixes. I really like mixes that, you know, have really, like, natural sounds. So, like, sometimes the vocals are out of tune and everything. But yet, when it's done, it doesn't sound like their favorite band. And then they start asking themselves, what's, you know, what do I want this to sound like? Oh, I want it to sound as good as Led Zeppelin. Good luck with that. Um, I'm trying to tell you that, again, it all goes back to the songwriting, but as far as processing goes, you have to accentuate what's there. And if nothing is there, what do you got? Now, I want to talk about the third element, which is automation. Automation is something that so many people just do not do. And I don't know why they don't do it. They did it in the analog days with consoles all the time, and they do it now, and it's awesome. Automation is basically the recording of different data inside of the computer or on an analog console to where it will perform that data uh, over and over again every time the mix is played. For example, volume automation. Um, I can automate the vocals up and down. I can automate different parts up and down at different sections. And this becomes extremely useful, and this is why I'm talking about this now, is because it ties in with the processing. Let's say you have a rock mix, and it's a pretty high-energy rock song. Let's say something like Foo Fighters. And all these elements have to be controlled to where they sound how you want them to. Let's say you're compressing and EQing almost everything. Well, when you compress and EQ almost everything, you're taking dynamics away, right? That's what a compressor does. Compressors don't turn things up. They squish your dynamic range, so your louder parts are now quieter, which also in turn makes your quiet parts louder. So that gives you less movement in the track. So when you have less movement in each individual track, you have an aggregate less movement in the whole track. So you have to automate the dynamics back in. So this goes back to the first section where we were talking about different sections having different levels. So you have to go through each section on your mix. This is what I recommend for you to do. You don't have to do this, but this is my recommendation. So first, listen to your mix dry, like we talked about, and, and, and write down a level. Uh, we already talked about that. So once you have that, go through your mix. Once everything's processed, so we're going in order of the mix, basically. So you're going from listening raw pans and volumes and stuff like that. And then you're going to compression and, and maybe some EQ and stuff like that with the processing. Now we have to fine-tune that processing using automation. So let's say the section comes along and you're sitting there and now you listen to it. Now, now what I want you to do is once your mix is kind of on its way, go through and write down the level differences now. So we talked about a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of fullness. Go through the song and write down the level differences and compare them to the old ones. Hide the old list, you know, put that somewhere else or, you know, fold the paper over or something and then write now. So what you'll find probably is once everything's been EQ'd and compressed, some of the dynamics go away a little bit because that's just what compressors do. 
And so you have to automate dynamics back in. So let's say your original list. I'm going to make a list right now so we can kind of use it as an example. Let's find some paper here. So let's say we have an intro, a verse, a pre-chorus, a chorus, then another intro, then a verse, a chorus, a bridge, and then two choruses, and then it's over. Okay? So initially, let's say I'm writing all this down on a chart. So whenever the song is dry and you're just working on getting balances and pans, let's say in order it went uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, it went 8, uh, 5, 7, 8, 8, then 6, 8, 9, 9, and 10. So that has an intro at a level 8, then a verse at level 5, drops down for the verse, pre-chorus at a 7, chorus at an 8, then an intro at an 8, verse at 6, chorus at 8, bridge at 9, then the next chorus at 9, and see in between the bridge and that chorus we might have a break. So let's put a break in there. We have a like a break where the whole band cuts out, so that goes down to like a 3, and then it goes back up to a 9, and then the last chorus is a 10. So... Let's say this is our model. Well, after we've compressed everything, you might go back and listen, and the, and the numbers might be a little different. It might be something like intro is a 7, verse is a 6, pre-chorus is a 7, chorus is an 8, intro is an 8, verse is a 7, chorus is an 8, the bridge is an 8, the break is a Five. The last chorus is a nine, or the second to last chorus is a nine, and then the last chorus is a nine. So what you'll notice if you compare these two charts, the intro is now not as big. It's a seven instead of an eight. The verse is a six instead of a five. The pre-chorus stayed about the same. The chorus and the intro is a little bit bigger. The verse is now a, the second verse is now a seven instead of a two. The bridge is now an 8 instead of a 9. Then the chorus is a 9, and then the last chorus is still a 9. So you see how there's that little bit of difference now. There's not as much movement. So using volume automation, what I suggest you do is take a look at these two lists. Take a, take a look at what's going before and what's going now. Then... As you're mixing with automation, as you're doing volume automation, and if you want compression threshold automation and EQ automation or effect send automation, go through each section individually and set a balance for that section. The most important part to remember, really when you're setting a balance for each section, is what section is coming next. What am I setting up for? So if your verse sounds awesome, that's great, right? But if the chorus can't go anywhere after that, I mean, if your verse is huge, where the heck can your chorus go? So you have to tone the verse back a little bit. So you might turn down the guitars a little. You might maybe turn down the bass just a hair, just a touch, not too much. Um, or, you know, for me, I don't usually like to automate the bass a whole lot sometimes, but, but usually I keep it pretty similar across the whole song, but in verses, maybe I'll, I'll take it down just a notch. 
Um, and a good bass player will play, if he wants to play less, he'll probably turn his volume down just a hair, um, and he'll also probably play fewer notes. So, for example, he'd play whole notes in the verses and then eighth notes in the chorus. That's another. See, again, because we're talking about fullness, not necessarily volume, but fullness. So, fullness is a little different than volume. Fullness means density in how many notes are being played. Fullness means what all is playing. You know, are there keyboards, guitars, bass, drums? And fullness also means power, volume, things like that. So it's all three. So now look at your mix numbers that you see here, and then you, you can kind of compare and be like, okay, well, I guess maybe my verse I can make a little quieter. And then maybe I'll leave the pre-chorus the same, but the first chorus needs to be a little bit bigger. And then maybe I'll make the intro a little bigger, and then the verse 2 needs to be a little bit smaller. Chorus needs to be a little bigger. Then the bridge needs to be a little bigger. And then the second to last chorus, I want to make it a little smaller. And the last chorus, I want to make it really big. So you have to automate these things back in. Compression takes away dynamics. Automation of volumes adds it back in. So, again... Another thing to consider with this is that it's very subtle stuff here. If you take away one decibel off of every track, the aggregate level that you take away is pretty significant. So you have to be very, very subtle with this volume automation. Um, it's usually just tiny moves of one to two decibels um, on each thing, sometimes three if it's a pretty drastic change. Like, for example, from an intro to a verse you might consider that dropping maybe three decibels on the guitar, or maybe two. Uh, if it's something really subtle, maybe a half or one. Uh, so, And that's like on something like the drums, you might not want to automate those too much. You might just try to keep some of those. You, you really want your groove to be really solid, so I would suggest automating drums and bass very, very little. Maybe bass a little more than drums. Um, now, with vocals, what you're really go your real goal with automation is making sure every word can be heard, not necessarily making the verse quieter and the chorus louder. Now, with all the other elements, that's the case. But in vocals, you really want to make sure every word can be heard and that it's also not too loud to where it's awkward. So this is all just an exercise in trying to understand song dynamics and trying to understand movements in songs. So, so again, listen to the song dry, Write down the excitement in each section. Write down the fullness in each section. Then, in, in a scale of 1 to 10, then mix the song, start enjoying it, find elements you like, using them, processing, do that. And then, write down the numbers then. And then, after that, then start working with automation. Start moving things a little bit, right? Start moving things and, 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 and making balances in each section, saying, okay, how am I setting up the chorus by this pre-chorus? Is this, is this pre-chorus too big? Is it going to make the chorus really pop? Is it going to make the chorus exciting? Or is it going to almost trump the chorus because it's the same level, but it's not as cool as the chorus? So, a song is a movement. It's not just a static piece of art. It's not something that you can just say, oh yeah, everything's the same level all the time. That's very, very rare. So let's recap of today. First, we're talking about the idea of songwriting and that it all starts there. You have to have good songwriting. You have to understand what's good songwriting. You have to understand 
what makes a song move. And we talked about some of the elements like volumes and fullness in different sections. We also talked about the differences in things like uh, verses and choruses and how they change and what how each one sets you up for the next one. And if it's not setting you up for the next one, you know, then it's not really doing a good job. Sometimes people have a chorus in a song that's quieter than the other parts. If that's the case, then the pre-chorus needs to be big. Does that make sense? So the song moves. It goes up and down. It takes you somewhere. That's physically taking you somewhere from being louder. I mean, it's physically moving your ears differently. And so the next thing we talked about is processing. Once you've got your processing going, start to think about it in terms of artistic you know, things like, like, what, what does this make me feel when I do this? Does this compressor make me exciting? Does it make the vocal exciting? Does it make me feel excited? Does, you know, when I put the, this on here, is it making me feel excited or is it making me feel, you know, like, does it make my ears hurt? Am I using too much compression? Am I like cringing when I hear it? Maybe I want to cringe. So think about that. Then we talked about once we've processed you can automate dynamics back into a song, things like verses to choruses, and then also transitions are big with automation, making sure that the transition from, you know, let's say verse one is a five, and then uh, pre-chorus is a seven, and then the chorus is a nine, let's say that. Well, we want to make sure that it's not necessarily, if unless it's just written that way, just an awkward transition from five to seven. So, you know, elements kind of bring up a little bit, they kind of fade in, maybe the drums do a fill, and you're in. You're into the second part. So then you're into the pre-chorus. Then maybe the drums do a big fill, and there's this little guitar, you know, lick that goes right into the chorus, and then the chorus is in, or something like that. So all these transitions are just as important as the verses and choruses and pre-choruses themselves. So again, that's all back to songwriting. It's, it goes all back to performance. And so whenever you hear people talking about performance, this is all what it talks about. Performance is not a tiny category. Performance includes the songwriting, the arrangement, what guitar you picked, what amp you picked, what pedals you used. Performance includes everything that you would see on a stage. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a whole lot. So the feel, the emotion, all of it's there. So you're going to make sure and use your automation to your advantage and, and, and help yourself, you know, help the mix. And the goal is to make the mix have its fullest potential. So take this information, use it. If you have any questions, please email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for your questions. I've been getting lots of good questions about all kinds of various things. I really appreciate it. Lots of good comments on the iTunes reviews. Go leave me a comment. I really appreciate it. Give me a five-star rating if you want. (laughs) And uh, check out my blog. It's recordinglounge.blogspot.com. And uh, I do freelance mixing and mastering. So if you have any questions about that, just email me for rates. I can give you a very specific rate for your project, depending on what it is. I don't like to charge the same thing for everyone because I think every project is different. So I want your music to move forward. So if you want to get any mixing or mastering done, then send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. As for everyone else, I'll talk to you guys very soon. Thanks for listening.